When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello, everyone. Today, we are going to be recording an episode on social anxiety. And I have a special guest here with me who is a freshman in college. And so midway through her first year, a lot of adjustments. And I'll let her tell you the backstory of how we met and how long I've known her. So, um, and I'll probably throw in a few tidbits on anxiety, such as the fact that Anxiety is the number one most common mental health issue. And social anxiety is one type of anxiety, of course. And May is willing to share her story in order to help others and, you know, just talking about what's helped her. So, hello, May. <laughs> hello. That was a great introduction. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you're so sweet to be here on your Christmas break. Very nice. I know you go back in a couple of days, so very sweet of you to share your vacation time to tell your story. Well, I would love to. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you want to start by just sharing some background or your story with anxiety? Yeah. Okay. So um, like you said, I'm a freshman in college. Um, I went to high school here, um, but I was born in Florida and then I moved to Maryland and I moved here in ninth grade. Um, I started seeing you about nine months ago. Um, it was March of my senior year, and that's when I started facing really bad anxiety mm. and when it was somaticizing mm. and when I thought I I needed to talk to someone. I love the word somaticizing. I'll maybe explain it and you can explain specifically, but it's where you basically put psychological issues into your body and they become like bodily symptoms. Yeah. That was the first time I'd heard the word somaticize. Mm. And it was really interesting to me because I could definitely relate to it. Mm -hmm. I feel like my anxiety, I've, I, I remember coming into your room the first time and you asked me about anxiety and I was like, it always just feels like kind of constant, like just kind of a constant state of worry. Mm. Um, and it was just kind of like obstructing the way I did everything. Mm -hmm. So like everything I did was with anxiety. Wow. And I had always somaticized it. Like I had always had physical symptoms, but especially March of my senior years when I started noticing them really, mm. really badly. Can you tell us a little bit about which bodily symptoms you tended to experience? I was nauseous a lot of mornings. I was throwing up a lot. I was waking up with pains in my chest and a lump in my throat. Um, just not good things. And wow. I didn't realize that it wasn't normal. And I 
wanted to fix it. <laughs> did you think you were sick? I did actually. It was over the summer actually. I had I went through like so many things. I had to go to urgent care a few times because I was just throwing up all the time and mm. they didn't know what it was. And on the back of my mind, I was like, maybe it's anxiety, but I don't think anxiety can ever get this bad. So right. I don't think it is. But I it, it turned out it was just having really bad anxiety. Was and that the summer before your senior year or this summer like this was this ago? past summer. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Yeah, I do remember you talking about that, but I wasn't sure which summer you were alluding to. Yes, last summer. I feel like is when it got very bad. <laughs> Any theories on why it got so much worse in the summer? Um, I think I was nervous for school and it kind of expecting the worst mm -hmm. and expecting the worst. And it was where my body started expecting the worst. And it started feeling the anxieties that I was having in my mind. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a really good phrase. Expecting the worst seems like it would be a really good almost definition for worry. Yeah. Like yeah. imagining the worst or expecting the worst. Yeah, that's something I would say is a side effect of of having really bad anxiety. Oh, you yeah. You just expect the worst out of all outcomes. And it's it's scary sometimes because you obviously, like, don't know what's going to happen. So when you expect the worst, you know, it might, you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And a lot of this that I'm going to say, I know you've probably heard. So I, I'm telling this more for the podcast. So so you don't think you've told me that before. <laughs> yeah. But um, visualizing negative outcomes. Yeah. And that kind of thing is, you know, some of the research on anxiety shows that people with anxiety tend to like to be they have an excessive need for control. So they like to be prepared. Mm -hmm. And they think if I imagine everything that could go wrong, then I'll be prepared or maybe it's less likely to happen. Yeah, I, I think it's like a, I'm trying to prepare myself for this kind of brace yourself because most anxious yeah. people are sensitive. Yeah. And I, I was thought, I thought I would just, I was naive if I didn't think of like the worst possible outcomes. Oh, interesting. So you would feel sort of naive and unprepared if you were caught off guard. Yeah. I did not want to be surprised. Don't want to be caught off guard. And I'm still that way. I, I've gotten a little better about it, but I just, I, I needed to know exactly what was going to happen mm. next. And that's the shame is you needed to know, quote unquote, mm -hmm. but you can't know. So mm -hmm. you're sort of imagining possibilities, but they're always just yeah. possibilities. <laughs> yeah. One of the biggest pieces of advice I ever got, and I think it was, I think we talked about this, is that, um, oh, you just forgot what it was. <laughs> um, it was a, it's a good piece of advice. <laughs> hey, I can relate. Oh, you, um. I just forgot what it was. <laughs> It'll pop back in. That yeah, happens to me all the time. Yeah, it will pop back in. Yeah. Um, Let's. Oh, don't live. Okay. No, <laughs> don't live through something twice. So don't expect Ooh. the worst and then you live through it in your mind. Because yes. we talk about how people with anxieties have really bad um, imaginations or they have really good imaginations, yes. but in a bad way. <laughs> and um, just, yeah, don't live through it twice. So if you're living through it in your mind and you're picturing all these bad things that are going to happen to you, um, then you live through it. <laughs> you go through the emotions yes. of it. And then if it actually happens, you have to live through it again. Ooh, I'm so glad you remember that. <laughs> 
And you're right. I'm glad you brought up that point about your imagination. And hopefully people who haven't heard any of the other episodes on anxiety, they'll go back and hear the one called an overview of anxiety disorders. And then there's one on social anxiety, facing social anxiety. But in that, I talk about how people with anxiety do tend to have very vivid imaginations and they can use their imagination to help them or they can use their imagination to hurt them. And most of them unknowingly and unintentionally are putting themselves through, like you said, living through a potentially traumatic event or mm-hmm. a stressful event twice because and possibly many, many times. Like, yeah, somebody could think, what if I trip going up to get my diploma at graduation <laughs> and they imagine 10 times what if this happened? So they're yeah. reliving something that's actually never happened. Yeah. It's also kind of like a self-fulfilled like prophecy. Yes. We've talked about that a lot where it's just like, if you believe that it's going to happen, then maybe you'll, it's going to happen. Right. Exactly. And then even if it does happen, what helps to realize is I could handle that. Yeah. Yeah. That's also another thing with anxiety is that you don't realize how much you can handle. You yes. kind of underestimate how much you can handle. Yeah. Because when you're thinking of all these bad possibilities and everything bad is going to happen, then you don't think you'll be able to handle it. So then it's just kind of like a cycle of like bad yeah. <laughs> that you can't get out of. Kind of like lacking confidence in yourself and underestimating your strength and your ability to cope. Yeah, which I feel like is also a thing with anxiety is that you have really low self-esteem with it. Yeah. That comes with it. Yeah, you're not seeing yourself accurately and all that you're capable of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which it, it reflects on like so many parts of your life. This is why like even with 30% of the population having anxiety, it's it's talked about as like a really casual thing. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little bit more serious than people think it is because oh, yeah. it can reflect on like your job performance, education, relationships, like what you think mm-hmm. about yourself. It's like a big issue for sure. Yeah. When you're having trouble enjoying life because you're worried or your body Mm. is under stress yeah or you're having physical symptoms like you said somaticizing it's hard to really be happy and just enjoy life yeah and it's weird because i i started antidepressants about four months ago Mm -hmm. i started it in september Mm -hmm. and um that was a big step for me because I never tried antidepressants before, never been on them. And I was scared to take them, but it's, I've been on it for four months now and I have done it. Like I've taken them pretty regularly and it's weird because time kind of moves a little bit differently. Hmm. Like you kind of notice that throughout the day you stop worrying about things that don't really matter that much. Huh, you can stop that pattern. Yeah, of- and I get tired a lot less easily. I think when I was anxious a lot, like going out and doing things or hanging out with people took a lot more energy than it should have. Because mm. I was always worrying about something. I was always worried about what I said or what I did. And it just, it wasn't a good pattern. So now that I've kind of been on medication for a little bit, I just noticed I have so much more energy. Oh my goodness. I'm so glad you brought this up. <laughs> yeah. You know, I have been, even after 20 years of doing this kind of work and really anxiety is one of my specialties, but what you just said is, has really astonished me somehow. And I'm not even sure why, but so many people that will be riddled with thoughts of 
what am I, am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I disappointing this person I'm with? Am I talking too much or too little? Mm -hmm. Am I boring? And just having this ongoing, like hypervigilance almost trying to read their minds, guess what they need. And that is so incredibly exhausting to put yourself through that. Yeah, it's exhausting. So what kinds of things did you find yourself thinking more before you started the medication? Oh my gosh, everything. <laughs> it's just, I would say something and then if no one said anything, I'd be like, that was dumb. You shouldn't have done that. And I was just like, no one cares what you think. You don't like, you shouldn't be wearing this. Like, I can't believe you just said that and did that. It's just getting really embarrassed for no reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Especially it'll be people like, like your sister or like your best friend. Yes. And you get anxious in front of them. And there's obviously no reason to be and they're mm -hmm. most of the time not thinking that. Mm -hmm. I remember we, we had a session where we talked about social anxiety and it was like, if you just get in that pattern of like, why did I just say that? Why did I do that? You just have to snap out of it, try to pay attention in the moment, and then like try to just not think of that, which yeah. is hard. Yeah. And and even just saying it's not the end of the world. Yeah. <laughs> One thing I've said to a teenager recently was it's actually completely impossible to know what people want you to do, but it's also impossible to please everyone because different people may want different things. Mm -hmm but they also may not even care. Yeah. Um, I had someone that was talking about going with some family members on uh, like sort of extended family Black Friday shopping. And it was like 5 a.m. And she was worried, am I talking? Should I talk? Do they want me to talk? Do they want me not to talk? <laughs> or do they want me to turn the radio on? Or do they want silence? And like, just literally her, yeah. her mind racing. And it's like, first of all, is it really your job to try to guess and please everyone? And one person might want the radio and one person might not. I mean, yeah. that's not your job <laughs> to try to no, do that. No, to try to like read the room and please everyone. Yes. Because obviously you're not going to please everyone. It's a great word, read the room. That's yeah, really good. and it, reading the room to an extent where it gets unhealthy. Like I think it's good to like read the room, make sure like, you know, yeah. everything's okay, but just like, reading it to the point where like you can't pay attention to anything else and you're not actually having fun. Yes. So it's like it's debilitating. It is. Yeah. So like going out with friends should be a fun, like easygoing activity. And then it's just stressful because you don't know what to say. And then mm -hmm. if you think about what you're going to say, you can't, you know, you does not say anything. And then it's, mm -hmm. it just gets really tiring. <laughs> well, I'd love to hear what you think of this. I don't think I've ever shared this analogy with you about social anxiety, but I have lots of issues, but social anxiety is really not one of mine. Mm -hmm. But the way I can really, really relate to it is when I think about, and, and I have met a couple of famous people, but when I think about meeting someone really famous, I would completely mm -hmm. have social anxiety. And so tell me how this relates to what you think. Uh, so if I was sitting next mm -hmm. to, you know, Angelina Jolie or Gwyneth Paltrow or whoever, <laughs> I would be going, I want to talk to them. Do they want to talk to me? They probably <laughs> don't. I'm going to say something stupid. Maybe I could ask them this, but I bet they're going to think everyone else says that and it's going to sound stupid and they're going to be annoyed and yeah. they're probably not going to like me. You know, is yeah, that you want to make a good first impression. And mm -hmm. in your mind, you're thinking this person is better than me. Ooh. So I have to impress them because then they'll like me. 
I'm so the underdog. Obviously, I'm beneath them, like I'm below them. Ooh. So I need to, yeah, I need to impress them and be super charismatic and Pretty they need to enough. like me. Yeah. Which is like in that cycle, you just get in your head so much that you end up not being fun, really. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. You end up not being yourself. Yeah. It's debilitating. Yeah. So it's not fun for you. It's not fun for them because, you know, you're mm -hmm. acting weird and they just want you to be yourself. Right. You're like incapacitating the social skills that you probably have in there if you weren't so anxious. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. be overthinking it. Because you underestimate yourself. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, like that analogy. That's a good one. Well, that's a good one for people who don't relate to it mm -hmm. because that can be very frustrating for someone who, you know, deals with anxiety or depression when someone is like, just get over it. Just be yourself. And it's like easier said than done. Yeah, it is a lot easier said than done, especially in a room of people that you don't know that well. Mm -hmm. So you have to like really try and read the room. That's a good point, because a lot of times social anxiety is worse for acquaintance with acquaintances mm -hmm. or new people than it is with your like than with friends. your group of friends. Yeah, I've experienced that a lot in college recently, just being in a room full of people that I don't know that well and trying to please everyone that I can, mm -hmm. but I don't know everyone that well. So it's really hard to do that. Wow. Yeah. And that kind of relates to your point of reading the room. Um, is that really your job? And, you know, this is, I know, easier said than done, but I had a 35 year old recently, a client say, oh boy, I wish someone had told me that when I was a teenager. Mm. So what I basically <laughs> said is if our paradigm could shift into be yourself mm -hmm. and just know that you have a lot to offer people and mm -hmm. who you are is wonderful, but not everybody has to click with you. I mean, yeah. just like, well, you and I, you were talking about thrifting. You and I both <laughs> like thrifting mm -hmm. and, but you might talk to someone who, and I have relatives like this, they think thrifting and used furniture is disgusting uh -huh. and that's okay. If you know, you just be yourself and be proud of the fact that you love thrifting. Yeah. And if someone's like, that's not my thing, it doesn't mean they dislike you. It just yeah. means that they're maybe not your tribe. Yeah. And you don't have to change yourself. Just be your most accurate self. Yeah. And see who exactly. ends up going. I want to talk, sit here and talk with you about mm -hmm. that. Because there's bound to be one person. Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> More than one person. Exactly. And I had a note and I wanted to write it down because I didn't want to forget it. But um, my best friend's mom said this one time and I like kept this in my mind for the longest time because I like couldn't make sense of it. But I made sense of it this year. And she said, it's not your fault if someone doesn't like you. Like that's on them. Mm. It's totally not. It literally has nothing to do with you if someone doesn't like you. That is great. It's kind of like not your problem but you know one little slight word that i would like to add to that is it's not your fault if someone doesn't exactly click with you because mm -hmm. i think there's a big difference between disliking and not necessarily clicking mm -hmm. yeah because you know I, i'll ask people sometimes what is there that you've done to dislike. Mm -hmm. I mean, there can be issues like if someone's always talking and never listening and always interrupting, that can be a legitimate thing to dislike. You know, this person won't listen or, but most of the time it's more like, you know, for me, if I was around someone that was constantly talking about makeup, I would say that's just a little boring to me or I'm not that into makeup, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't say, oh, I just don't like her. <laughs> yeah. I would just go sit with someone that wanted to talk. do something else. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not like you have a new enemy. It's just like, 
And I think of it sometimes like the speed dating yeah, things you see. Yeah. <laughs> Have I ever told you this idea? No, you haven't. Well, it would be kind of like a friend thing mm-hmm. where you just like, in a sense, life could be sort of like you shift tables and you talk to people for five minutes and then you say, there's the three I have the most in common with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it's good for you and the other people. Right. Yeah. It's a lot freeing to think that way because you think like, oh, if this person doesn't like me, something's wrong with me. Mm-hmm. I need to change myself because I need to hang out with them. But it's like, you don't need to do that. Right. <laughs> you shouldn't like have to change yourself. Exactly. And I think a lot of people demean or diminish or devalue their personality sometimes. Yeah, I do that all the time. I catch myself doing that a lot. And I definitely did that when I was like growing up all the time. And you just beat yourself up about it. And it's just for no reason. Like you do not have to do that. Any examples of like maybe ways that you doubted yourself or didn't see your strengths or what you had to offer before, but now you do see that more? Um, gosh, just all the time. I, I remember the one moment that I was sharing with you um, right before I went to college. Mm. And it was the moment where it was me and my roommates standing in front of a mirror and they were we were getting ready, you know, to go out. You know, we, everyone was putting on makeup, doing hair. This was you visualizing. This was right? me visualizing before yes. you even yes, went. before I imagining. even went to college. This is me imagining it. Um, and everyone was putting on, you know, getting ready to go out and listening to music, talking, having fun. And I just visualized myself like physically just being in the back of the mirror, nobody talking to me, not having fun, like. Nobody wants to talk to me. I'm not doing anything not interesting. In. I'm not fitting in. I'm just an outsider. And I just visualized that for a really long time. Mm. And I didn't need to do that. I was underestimating how interesting I was and how funny I was. Mm-hmm. And it's it was it's annoying because mm-hmm. you don't need to do that. It's kind of like instead of body dysmorphia, it's like personality, personality dysmorphia. Personality dysmorphia, yeah. So that's when... You know, when I don't know, this might be like I do this a lot. But when people compliment me, I Mm -hmm. sometimes get really surprised Mm -hmm. because I didn't like see that part of myself. You don't believe it or you didn't recognize it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, I just had someone who is also a male in his 30s and he was talking about something like this. Um, I'm trying to remember how he put it. See, now I'm going to forget exactly (laughs) the train of thought, but it was sort of like thinking that who you are isn't enough or devaluing what you have to offer and thinking that there's got to be something more. And I I think this kind of goes to the point of there's someone out there looking for exactly what you are and we can sort of want to be something we aren't like, oh, I want to be the life of the party or Mm -hmm. I'm too serious. I think that's actually what he said is he at times felt like he was too serious. Yeah. But there's so many people out there that love depth. That are also serious. Yes. And they're looking for that. Exactly. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. That's why you have friends because they can relate to you and do things. Yeah. Yeah. That's why like another thing like finding your like people or like finding your friend group is Mm -hmm. like really good for you because it shows you that like you are enough. Like that person like Mm. should be loved and can be loved. And it's like you should show that part of yourself. Like you should just be yourself. Right. It's like the fullest expression and just having that confidence or even like faith of, I know I have something great to offer people. Mm -hmm. And if it was kind of like that, 
instead of speed dating, speed friendship thing is just going, I know they're going to be out of these 20 people I'm going to be having five minute conversations with. They're going to be a few that really click with me. Yeah. But that's not a rejection. Mm -mm. It's more of a mutual clicking. Yeah. It's just, yeah. Or it's like a mutual agreement that we like each other, but we don't want to spend time with each other. And that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) And that's totally okay. Yeah. And even some of the weirdest parts of ourself and that, or the parts I should say that we think are weird. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we have shame about them and we don't put them out there. Yeah. But that could be the very thing that develops a friendship. Yeah, exactly. That can grow a bond. Yeah. Like a silly one for me is I've always loved potty humor. <laughs> and I know that there were times when I was in my teens and twenties that my parents would go, Beth, you need to tone it down. Like, <laughs> you're never going to get married if you don't stop joking about that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I actually really just loved it too much to like put it away, but I'm sure there were times, <laughs> but I made some of my, my greatest friends yeah. from my dumb, weird <laughs> jokes and my weird sense of humor. But there were also people that would shake their head and be like, Oh my goodness. They, yeah. you know, I didn't, have to see a lot of that, but right. I'm sure there were people that were like, I never want to see her again. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, like, why does it matter if someone else doesn't like it? Right. I, yeah. I feel like once you like understand that, like social anxiety becomes a lot easier to deal with. Yeah. If it's important to you mm-hmm. and it is who you are, then you yeah. really should take pride in it and put it out there. Yeah. Gosh, there's a lot of loud construction. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else can hear that, but it's very loud. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to just say this is so important to me. I, I don't care if someone rejects me because I like to buy 30 year old cars that look like a piece of junk or yeah. whatever. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. And once you like show yourself uh-huh. and then you I've been really lucky to have a really good support system but if you if you find people like that then it just makes it so much more special what an amazing <laughs> phrase show yourself <laughs> oh my goodness see in yeah. that profundity mm-hmm. that you just had I I have to point out you're an amazing writer I've <laughs> read a couple of your pieces that you've written and they show what a sensitive deep person you are Uh, she's blushing um but yeah I don't know if any of those feel relevant to read today but anytime I can read some of your stuff I just find it so inspiring oh my gosh I would love to yeah yeah if you maybe you could decide which piece might be most relevant but um well any of the questions you've kind of just kind of organically I mean we still have I feel like 15 more minutes if you want to use it but um Is there anything else related to either your story or um, one question I had on my list was which types of anxiety do you most identify with all the way from just general worry and anxiety to social anxiety to panic attacks to phobias, Mm -hmm. etc. Anything you want to say on that? Yeah, I think I have all kinds of anxieties. (laughs) All of them? Yeah. Well, definitely we just talked a lot about social anxiety. Um, Mm -hmm. I've had my fair share of panic attacks, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Um, And just, yeah, a general worry. Like I said, it just, it kind of feels like, like if humans are like a blank slate, Mm -hmm. I feel like people with anxiety, or at least for me, I just feel like there's another slate that's just anxiety. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's just always ongoing every moment. It's It's like a daily struggle. Yeah. Yeah. Which I feel like goes for a lot of mental illnesses is that it's just every day. It's just 
you're reminded every day that yeah. it's not normal to like feel this way. Right. Like we all tend to have our lots to bear in life or our struggles in life, mm -hmm. but anxiety is just kind of always there in the background. Yeah. And the severity can vary. And I mm -hmm. actually love for you to speak to that. So at its worst, maybe you said was March of 2021 when you first came in here. Mm -hmm. Um, how severe or debilitating was your anxiety then? And then where is it now? And, you know, or how would you describe that? Huh. Okay. So I feel like at my worst, do you want me to give like a number scale? <laughs> yeah, if, oh yeah. I forgot okay. to say, like if 10 was extremely severe and debilitating and one is like barely yeah, there. I would, I think right now I would say it was like a six mm -hmm. when I came in. It, it was it was definitely there. I, I had a normal life. You mean in March of 2021? Yes, in March of 2021. Okay. Yes. I had like a pretty normal life. Like I could do normal things, but it, it was just reminded every day. Mm -hmm. And it just the way time moved was like slower because you're just think you're just worried all the time. Mm -hmm. You're anxious about everything. And it, it makes it harder to make decisions. I was really struggling with my college decision because of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I was struggling with relationships because of anxiety. Um, so, yeah, it was really bad. And also I was somaticizing my anxiety at mm -hmm. that point. Um, and I feel like now it would be, I want to say like a four out of ten. Okay. I would say. <laughs> I think with therapy and just with growing up and mm you know, going off to college, it's gotten a lot better. Um, and also obviously with medication makes it a lot easier. So is four the lowest it got or did it even reach a lower point like in the fall or something? Um, uh, yeah, I might've gotten to like a three. I think I, I'm at a four right now, mm -hmm. which is good for me, but I think might've gotten to a three as things got easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what about in the summer, right before you went to college where you were really worried and visualizing yeah. all these negative <laughs> That scenarios. might've been seven or an eight. So that might've been my lowest or my highest, I guess. Wow. Yeah. So would you say when you first started therapy in March, your, your anxiety went down a little bit in the mm -hmm. spring and then it went like way up sometime in the summer yeah and then i think it went back down see that's like also the thing with anxiety it just it, it's kind of like a roller coaster like it yeah. just like comes and goes a lot of the time and it's not linear yes especially with like things going on in your life uh -huh. like over the summer i was really like preparing for like this new like chapter of my life and i was really anxious about that mm -hmm. um but now i've started it and i've kind of made my way. I've made some friends at school and I've gotten used to it and everything. So it's, it's gone down a little bit, mm -hmm. but I, I'm sure, you know, it'll go back and down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I like the idea now that you mentioned friends, just finding a comfort zone, like people that fit with you and you fit with them and yeah. you can be yourself kind of that idea of emotional safety. Yeah. It, it makes my anxiety a lot better. I know friends play a different role in everyone's life but for me it's always been like friends are my support system mm -hmm. they're the people I see when I'm sad they're they're like really important to me they get you and yeah 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 exactly so it's it's something I like really need yeah yeah well you know and it's interesting how all this can be a vicious cycle where you and I were talking about this a little bit before we started recording if someone doesn't give themselves permission to be themselves, 
and they don't necessarily maybe value who they are or they're afraid to be who they are, then they might actually make the wrong group of friends. Like, oh, mm. I want to be friends with those people for this reason, but it may not be a good fit. And then they're sort of trying to force a square peg into yeah. a round hole. It's like lying to yourself, yes. which is what you, you just should not lie to yourself because you're you're. It's, I feel like it's really obvious when you're in the wrong group of friends mm -hmm. and when you're not having fun. Yeah. And that almost seems like it could be a different type of social anxiety where mm -hmm. you struggle to be yourself, but maybe it's because you haven't like been yourself and you haven't chosen yeah. the right group. Yeah. Or growing up, like you don't even know who you are really. So mm -hmm. it, it's hard to figure out if like you're acting or if this is who you actually are. Mm -hmm. I think it's also like a low self-esteem thing. Yes. So you think that you're not good enough, you know, to be yourself. Right. And that kind of might relate to you, how you used to devalue yourself or had a skewed you yeah. know, you didn't have a really accurate perspective of yourself. So you weren't necessarily putting yourself out there mm -hmm. or you didn't realize how great you were and how much you had to offer. So you weren't sort of being friendly because yeah. you didn't see yourself. I think I had a really skewed perception of who I was. Mm -hmm. I yeah, I yeah, it wasn't good. And it's it's like I said, it's obvious when you're hanging out with the wrong group of people. I've definitely been in the wrong group of people before mm -hmm. and it's just you don't have fun and you can't act like yourself and you'll always have to think about what you're going to say and you feel judged and mm -hmm. it's it's not a fun feeling yeah 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 exactly and you know truly even just interest i mean it's kind of important to notice what people enjoy talking about yeah and it's not like we all have to be twins but mm -hmm. if someone that you're going to be friends with maybe has at least 50 percent similar interest it doesn't have to be a hundred yeah um you know i get bored very easily if people go on and on about politics mm. it's just not i just don't enjoy it and yeah. it's fine i kind of admire them that they're so like thoughtful and so into all that and well-read, but I, it's just uh -huh. not fun for me. And I'm sure they feel that way about some of what I talk about. Yeah. Well, for me, it always felt like something was wrong with me if I couldn't get along with everyone. Mm. So I was like, I have to appeal to these people because then I'm not a likable person. And if I'm not likable, then I'm, I'm not valid. Then I just can't be loved ever, you know, like something like that. So how did you define can't get along with everyone like if i can't be present in a conversation hang out with people make them like laugh that kind of thing so i have to be kind of able to relate really well to everyone or change myself to be like everyone i talk to yeah i have to relate to everyone <laughs> or else i just am not likable wow i wonder where you got that assumption i know <laughs> i think it I think it came from parts of my childhood, uh -huh. but also just a skewed perception of myself huh. because I didn't know who I was. And I was like, if I'm not likable, then who am I? <laughs> oh, so maybe if you didn't know yourself, then you were just experimenting with all different personalities to fit in with everyone. Or yeah. Something? Yeah. That too. Mm -hmm. huh. That's really interesting. But yeah, I do. I think that that could be one of those basics that, we, you know, we talk about this a lot with cognitive behavioral therapy is one of the most empirically validated ways to improve anxiety and depression. But if we're telling ourselves lies or believing these lies that are like really faulty assumptions, then we go through life 
thinking, oh, it's a real problem if everyone doesn't like me. Yeah. And it's like, again, I think like versus dislike versus being neutral is a big difference. Yeah. But, you know, just to think, you know, I want to find people that get me, that like similar things, that enjoy similar things. Mm -hmm. And it really is kind of ridiculous to think that everyone would want the same things. Yeah, it's weird. And it's not fun for you. Because yeah. <laughs> why would you want to be friends with people who like to go to the gym when you like to go shopping? Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think the ridiculousness of that assumption would be clearer if we used analogies like kind of like what you just said, or even something like, I should want to go on all the exact same vacations that everyone I know. Yeah. Well, some people like the beach, some people like skiing, some mm -hmm. people like, you know, traveling New England and looking at staying in bed and breakfast. And another person would say, I'll do Airbnb. I mean, uh -huh. there's really no way that everyone's going to have the same dream vacation or the yeah. same dream day. Mm -hmm. Why is everyone going to have the same idea of who they want to be yeah. in their inner circle? Yeah. Yeah. It's also the thing about uh, trying to avoid conflict. Like you want to appeal to everyone. You want everyone to get along, but sometimes conflict is good. Mm-hmm. And being different doesn't have to be a better, or worse or an argument. It's just more maybe just different preferences or different needs that don't always gel. Uh -huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, like morning people, night people. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay. So maybe just a couple more questions. How has your thinking or behavior changed since you started dealing with this anxiety? Um, I, I notice it like a lot, <laughs> actually. Uh -huh. You're more aware of it? Yeah, I'm more aware of it, like just anxious thoughts. Because after going through therapy and medication now, I just, it, the thoughts kind of don't stay. Like I used hmm. to have really intrusive bad thoughts that would stay and they would linger and then I would think about it more and now I put more logic to it. It's mm. like, obviously that's not going to happen. Um, I, my dad had cancer a few years back mm -hmm. and I would always be really worried about him because that was when the pandemic started. Mm. So I was very worried that he was going to get COVID and then something bad was going to happen and health difficulties. So I've always been worried about his health and it, I used to freak out a little bit just because I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I had it? And then he had it. And I kind of stopped doing that. I just like stopped myself in the line. I'm like, it will be okay. Like whatever wow. happens. So you just don't let those worried, anxious thoughts stay as long. They don't linger as yeah, long. Yeah. They don't linger as long and there's more logic to them. Wow. Yeah. It's like, that's not going to happen. And if it does, it's okay. <laughs> wow. That's really good. Yeah. One of the famous um, you know, cognitive therapists talked about trying to make irrational thoughts more rational. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's really good when you can kind of have an internal debate and try to make it more yeah. logical. More or, logical. Yeah. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the most I've seen my thinking change. Mm -hmm. And with behavior, I feel like I've changed a lot. I think I've become a lot more outgoing. Mm -hmm. I've noticed that in college, I've been less scared to talk out and say things and be myself even. And it's been really nice. Mm -hmm. And even with like my close friends, I, I was always anxious hanging out for no reason. But now I just feel a lot more comfortable around them. Mm. And it's nothing they're doing. It's just, I think it's my behavior that's changing. 
Do you have any idea how you got there? Um, <laughs> I think just noticing that these patterns and how they're bad and talking about it has helped me a lot. Because I think like when you start somaticizing anxiety or just when you have anxiety, you just you need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I started journaling more and that mm-hmm. helps a lot. And just talking to people more about what's bothering me, going to therapy. It's like taking your thoughts and then just putting them out into the world. Oh, you've opened up more? Yeah, a lot more. Yeah. Wow. And how has that helped you? So, so nice. <laughs> it's really nice. Do you find that people just say, oh, I can relate or... Yeah. You notice a lot more people are thinking the same thing or they're relating or they're comforting. Like people are really nice about it. Hmm. <laughs> so it's like nice to, you know, hold all of that in. And then just when you open it up, you're just welcomed. <laughs> wow. That takes so much courage just to tell people one-on-one and certainly to be doing this in the podcast right now. And I just think it's such a gift. And I hope everyone will think about that is sharing your story with people is a real gift. And one of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast in general is because I want people to know you're not alone. And there are so many people out there that you don't know that are struggling with the same things. Social anxiety is so common. Anxiety is so common. But if no one is brave enough to open their mouth and be vulnerable and share their story, then you don't realize how many people are around you that can be like a support group. Yeah, exactly. And it, it makes you closer to people. Oh, yeah. It lets you grow with them and like understand on a deeper level what they're going through. Yeah. And it's also just like, you know, if you're acting weird and, you know, your friend's like, what what was up with her? Like, is she OK? If you talk to them about it, then that would let you all grow deeper, you know? Right. And they can't read your mind. And this is a common thing with social anxiety is people give off, you know, nonverbal vibes that are not welcoming. And they don't realize like someone like you who used to have really skewed self-esteem and not a great sense of yourself and how, you know, how much you have to offer, then you would think, oh, these people don't like me. Yeah. But they're thinking, I don't think May likes me. I don't think May wants me to talk to her or she yeah. looks angry. People joke about resting <laughs> bitch face. And all yeah. You know, you can have that resting RBF, face. Yeah. Yes. You can have all kinds of resting facial expressions mm-hmm. that don't yeah. make people feel, I don't, you know, I don't think that person wants me to talk to them. Yeah. <laughs> and So then the attribution that you assign to that is they're not talking to me because they don't like me or I'm not cool enough. Maybe they're not talking to you because they're intimidated. Right. Yeah. No, once you understand perspective, it like changes everything. Yeah. Because I think people are a lot nicer than what we think in our heads, at least than what I think. I'm just like, oh, they're acting this way because they're mad at me. But it's like, actually, it has nothing to do with you. You know, that's why I love the multiple choice thinking um, Mm -hmm. technique that I made up is just they're not talking to me because they're intimidated or because they don't like me or because they, um, you know, are busy or they're running late. Like there's so many different theories. Or they're like going through something and they, they just can't. Yeah. Be there for you right now or talk to you right now. Right. Like they are not having fun with me right now. Well, maybe they're depressed. Yeah. It's something. Yeah. It not. Yeah. It doesn't always have to do with you. Right. It's not personal most of the time. Yeah, it really isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And most people are very vulnerable. Just speaking to your point is, you know, I think most people really want to feel 
seen and cared about and they want you to make them feel like you like them and you know them. And so that knowing that vulnerability in other people can make you yeah, feel it also, yeah, you can be more understanding of someone if mm-hmm. you understand what they've been through. And it's like, it, it'll just be easier for you, you know, if mm-hmm. people know that you're, you know, going through a hard time, if you have really bad anxiety right now, then they'll, you know, be there for you. They'll comfort you and they'll be like, it's okay. Yeah. It's like, yeah, people are a lot more welcoming than you think they are. Mm. So something changed for you between like August and now that made you realize people aren't as scary as you thought and you can be vulnerable and open up and you don't have to worry about the outcome. Yeah. You just talk about it and you just, it's a lot like more freeing. Mm -hmm. So much easier when you just realize you can do what you want and there will be people that will support you for it. Mm. Well, just hearing about your journey and the fact that, you know, it's ongoing and you're not here trying to make it sound perfect. Like I ha- I went from anxiety that was a 10 and now it's a one, you know, yours has gone up and down, but mm-hmm. there's definitely a huge positive change, especially with your social anxiety. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. But it's an ongoing battle and, um, I love the way you're working through it. And I just think it's wonderful that you're willing to share your story. And I hope this helps people because it is so, (laughs) so common. Yeah. It's even helping me just talking about it. Oh, good. Yeah. And I really hope, I mean, if someone can relate to it, like that would be great. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure a lot of people will and hopefully find hope that, you know, it, it can get better. And sometimes the permission that you give yourself or the freedom you give yourself to say, I don't really have much to lose. I'm going to be friendly instead of, should I say hi? Should I ask the question? Is this going to sound stupid? You know, we, people with anxiety do that, but to just say, you know what, it's not the end of the world. If somebody blows me off, it could be because (laughs) they just found out they failed a test. I mean, there's a hundred reasons, but I'd rather err on the side of being friendly and Mm -hmm. I can handle it if the worst scenario happens, but usually it doesn't. Yeah, usually it doesn't. And just be patient with yourself and be patient with other people. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's going to be okay. (laughs) Great advice. I know. I wish I could have told like my younger self, but just, it's going to be okay. I promise. Yeah. And I feel like that's the very reason that people like you are willing to share their stories. If someone can learn these lessons five years or two years earlier than I did, or even if they're 75 years old, Mm -hmm. you know, just learning lessons that make you healthier and happier. So important whenever you learn. Yeah, I know. I agree. (laughs) Well, do you happen to have anything that you thought about that would be of your writing? Because I loved like (laughs) your chapel talk. Um, I loved your um, poem you wrote uh, about something. I don't know if you have anything you could grab easily or not really. We could do that another time. Well, I have my chapel talk. I also wrote a journal. Ooh. Which one would we like? (laughs) Um, ooh, well, which one relates more to anxiety, the journal or I, mm, the chapel? I have a journal entry, but it's not optimistic. It's more just me being anxious. Uh-huh. But I could also read a part of my chapel talk. Okay. Could you read an excerpt of both? Yeah, of course. Here, let me pull it up. Um. <laughs> Did I send it? I think I sent it to you. Yeah, you did a while ago. All right, let's see. 
This was also my travel talk was a big thing for me because it was me being vulnerable to my whole school and I'd never really done that before. Wow, speaking in front of like hundreds of people, right? Yeah, yeah. But it just, it felt a lot better to get it out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, some of the things that are the hardest and take the most courage are the most satisfying and rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I can read this little excerpt. Okay. Okay, so this was, this is like halfway through my talk. Um, I had just explained my first day at a new school. Mm. Um, um, okay, I'll, I'll start. <laughs> Um, if I had to go back and do one thing, I would tell myself on that day that everything was going to be okay. 14-year-old May would have needed that. Sometimes I question how I got to my school. Why, out of all the places in the world, I live in Chattanooga. The obvious reason is that my dad got a job in late spring of my eighth grade year that made us move. And we were so late to applying for high schools that my school was the only school still, still accepting new students. Mm -hmm. This is what I thought for a while. But I've realized lately that I think there must have been something bigger than that which brought me here. Because the, tr the truth is, I didn't want Chattanooga to happen. I was unhappy with myself, and I was shy, and I was reserved. But I can remember a moment earlier from this year sitting on the porch with my friends at one of their houses. We were singing the lyrics to our favorite songs and laughing, doing what we did every weekend. But this time, I looked around at all of them and remember thinking, I love these people so much. As cliche as it sounds, I felt so connected to them in the world at that moment. That's why I believe Chattanooga was something bigger than just another move for me. I remember in September of my freshman year, I was sitting in the library early in the morning before class and watching the sky change colors as the sun rose. I remember looking down to my laptop, seeing the house my parents had sent me, saying we were going to tour it that weekend. And that house was the same one I left this morning. It's the same one my friends and I stayed up all night this winter painting the walls of my bedroom in. The same one my mom and sister and I sing to Avid Brothers songs in. I think these last four years taught me how to find beautiful things and how to appreciate them. And I get sad when I forget how beautiful the world is. It's really easy to get caught up in everything going on around you and to only focus on the bad side of things. This has been my biggest struggle as I come to terms about graduating high school. That we become integrated into the world once they call our names onto that stage. That after we leave today, we have to leave our childhood behind to make decisions of our own. While writing this talk, I found a dire entry from June 8th, 2017. It reads, my dad got a new job in Tennessee. I have no idea what is going to happen or even what high school you'll end up at, but I hope where it is, you're happy and successful in everything. Remember, if you're ever sad, you always have yourself to talk to. Remember to trust yourself. Don't try to please those that don't accept you. Also love, I wish I did that more. I was surprised when I found this because I think almost everything I wanted to be when I wrote this, I am now. This is why I love sunrises. They symbolize everything new. I and all the girls sitting up on the front lawn with me will start a new chapter of our lives in this fall. And new is really scary, but also beautiful. And that's why we need change. Mm. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> so powerful. I love that talk. I just... Oh, I love it. <laughs> thank you. I just don't even want to say another word, but I'll say thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank <laughs> you.